The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The New Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. If you don't stop talking to me, Colin, and if you don't stop bothering me, I have a set of shears at home, and each time you bother me from this day on, I'll take those shears, and I'll take one of my fingers off with them, and I'll give that finger to you until I have no fingers left. Does this make things clearer to you? Not really, no. Starting from now. But shush like, party. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. Would you not want him to have to do the one finger to see if he was bluffing like? No, we wouldn't. Because worse comes to worse, he can still play the fiddle with four fingers, I bet ya. Going back to your own gang now, Parrick. I'm talking to me! Are you? Why aren't you talking to Parrick no more? That wouldn't be a sin now, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either, is it? Do you know who we remember for how nice they was in the 17th century? Who? Absolutely no one. Yeah, we all remember the music at the time. Everyone to a man knows Mozart's name. I don't, so there goes that theory. That's the trailer for the movie The Banshees of Inisherin. A small village on an isolated island and a dark comedy that turns out to be also something of a personal tragedy. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Friday afternoon, January the 20th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to review the movie The Banshees of Inisherin. Pastor Ted Geese will be our guest. We'll spend some time with Michael O'Shea. He's written a column for the Federalist titled, Ivan Provorov's Faithful Stand Exposes Anti-Religious Intolerance in the Name of Tolerance. And then we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. First, let's talk a little bit about the Golden Globes. You were among the ever fewer people who actually watched the Golden Globes. What was your overall assessment? It's completely insufferable, and somehow I suffered through it for all of you, I guess. It's just terrible. Okay, so they had an entire year off because everything fell apart. And it wasn't really due to COVID or anything like that so much. It was pointed out that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association had zero people of color as members. There's no journalists who were black. At any rate, it all fell apart. They didn't even have it. This year, they came back again for their 80th Golden Globes. And right from the get-go, this Gerard Carmichael, the host, he was pretty awful. And it was all identity politics. And, you know, he just came out. And the, one of the first things he did is he shushed everybody. It's like this most school marmy kind of uptight thing you can imagine. So it just all the way through, it just could kind of just, it was just hard to watch. Some other just general thoughts about it is degeneracy was just kind of front and center. This uh, Ryan Murphy won the Carol Burnett Award. This Ryan Murphy is uh, a real peach. Like he's a guy that. I don't know if you would recognize any of these uh, shows, but he was the producer of Glee, 
He also was involved, like he's the producer of American Horror Story, which is kind of like an anthology series. This thing called Pose, there's something called The Prom. Every time you turn around, these are like really anti-traditional everything kind of productions. So he was being given a big, big award. The other thing is, is that somehow, like usually this is on a Sunday, I think. Now it was on a Tuesday night and it was in the evening, but there were F-bombs everywhere. People just kind of, there was no delay with a bleeping. People just were saying whatever they wanted to say whenever they wanted to say it. Already the Golden Globes has this reputation of being a little bit more raucous because they're eating and they're drinking. There's like, it's kind of like dinner theater style and they're having drinks and whatnot. So all of that is part and parcel of the Golden Globes, but it was just kind of really rough going. We had recorded it and were able to fast forward through the commercials at least. Kevin Costner won for um, actor in a dramatic TV series for this show Yellowstone, but he wasn't able to be there because of flooding and stuff going on in California in the area that he's from and like jokes were made of it and made light of it. But I mean, it was very serious. Like he was in, it was not a good situation. I mean, he really had a legitimate reason for not being there, but just that whole kind of insider kind of as though it's like the cool kids in you know, high school kind of deal. That's really what you were seeing. Also, I would say that in general, clearly the Hollywood Foreign Press Association had to go through some kind of retraining program when it came to their sensitivity to critical race theory related ideas. And they wanted you to know that they've done it. So over and over again, that was like, they were like beating that into everybody watching it that no, 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 we're all good. Now we did our re-education related stuff. So this may all sound a little harsh, but it was a little harsh to watch. Even there was that movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, Michelle Yeoh won for that. Anybody who's watched that movie, it's it's kind of interesting, but it's, it's extraordinarily nihilistic. And when you get right down to it, again, like the, the guys that are involved in making it are like really kind of degenerate also. So this is a Dan Kwan and Daniel uh, Scheinert. It also starred Jamie Lee Curtis and the man who was a little kid in some of this early Steven Spielberg movies. Steven Spielberg won an award too for his movie, The Fablemen. He got the best director award for a motion picture for this movie, The Fablemans, which is about his life. This is one movie that pretty much nobody saw apparently. I, I mean, I didn't see it. It came and went in the theater before I even had a chance to go and watch it. And that's the problem with a lot of these films. So sometimes some of them are gonna be okay or interesting at least. But it was a pretty rough year at the Golden Globes, let's say. Why did the Banshees of Inisherin win so many awards? Well, it was nominated for a whole pile of awards, including Best Director, Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role in Any Motion Picture, Best Performance by an Actor in Supporting Role in Any Motion Picture. Like, all of these, uh, the Best Original Score by Carter Brunwell. He was a very good score, actually. Uh, and Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role. So there were these, it was up for those awards, and then it was also up for Best Picture, Best Performance by an Actor, and Best Screenplay, and it won for all of those. So Colin Farrell plays one of the characters in the film, and he won for Best Performance by an Actor, and then the director is also the writer, Martin McDonough, he won for Best Screenplay. So it won three of the awards that it was nominated for, 
And I, I think it won because it's it's a, actually it's kind of a remarkable movie. I, I think it's it's quite a good movie in a number of ways. It has its failings, and it's very different than a lot of the stuff that you're seeing in theaters at the moment in terms of being, you know, it's not really a spectacle. This is not what this is about. It's a more thoughtful, introspective kind of a film experience. It's got like these very poignant, rich kind of performances. It is, however, extraordinarily bleak in a lot of ways. It's, this is like gallows humor, dark, dark, comedic, tragic kind of um, story. What is the story it tells? Well, what you have here is you have this folk musician, Colm, played by Brendan Gleeson, and also then his uh, affable but somewhat oblivious friend, Parik, played by Colin Farrell. And it all kind of starts with uh, Parik going over to Colm's house to knock on the door to say, hey, it's time to go to the pub for a pint. This is set in this island of Inisherin off the coast of Ireland. When he gets there, he gets rebuffed. He just, like, there's no response whatsoever. So overnight, this friend of his just stops talking to him. From there, you kind of, like, go through this whole entire winding story of, like, well, why is it that he stopped talking to him? And what does that lead to? What kind of things occur as their friendship has certainly fallen out and even feuding between them starts to erupt. So it's it's the, the unraveling of a long-time friendship in the pressure cooker of a small-town isolated community where there's one church, one pub, and everybody knows everybody, and everybody knows everybody's business. So this is what you get out of this. And, and these two actors... Gleason and Farrell had been together in a previous movie by the same director called In Bruges from 2008. And that was kind of a really, again, a movie where they really played off each other and it was kind of exciting to watch their acting. And here now, 15 years later, they have had this other opportunity to, and now they're, of course, more skilled actors along the way to get back into that kind of back and forth between these two actors as these two characters. And their performance is one of the really strong standout things about this film. Why do you say that the film is an excellent meditation on the Eighth Commandment? Okay, so the Eighth Commandment for everybody, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. So in this film, you have this very close relationship between these two guys. And suddenly, with the one stopping talking to the other in such a small community where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows each other's business, that has an impact on the reputation of the man who is being rebuffed. So suddenly, the question is, well, why is this going on? And of the two guys, Colin Farrell's character of Parik was kind of seen to be nice and affable and, and friendly. But then the question is, well, maybe he isn't that. Maybe he's kind of dim-witted and his friend doesn't want to spend time with him anymore. And then the other friend was nice and friendly and outgoing, but all of a sudden now he seems kind of mean. And their reputations are at stake. 
and what they say to each other and what they say about each other and what people say to each other about them, it starts to become the focus of gossip. People are hearing and saying things. Stuff's being passed around that shouldn't be. And also it's it's betrayal and it's slander and it's trying to figure out why, what's the problem here? That's why I think that it's actually a really good meditation on the Eighth Commandment because you see kind of writ large and then over and over again in minute ways all the way through the whole entire film how people either kind of try to keep the Eighth Commandment or fail at keeping the Eighth Commandment and then the ramifications of that. Like when they fall into sin in that way, what kind of dangerous bad things can occur? And of course it's a a drama, so tragic drama in this film where what you get is then kind of this taken to the nth degree like how bad could it possibly get in a way and this is what you're finding in the film so this is why i think that it's a good meditation on the eighth commandment the other thing that i think is pretty important and people should kind of consider too is that in the small catechism luther is pretty careful also to point out that part of your daily bread are things like good reputation good friends faithful neighbors and that's all on the line here and that makes it kind of an interesting film when you go into it thinking about that as you're watching it all unfold we're talking with pastor ted geese about the movie the banshees of inisherin when we come back he says that it is also the flip side of humility and pride we'll find out what he means next Several issues, etc. Regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Elective abortion is not and never has been medical care. So wrote Dr. Donna Harrison, a wife, mother of five, and grandmother of ten, and also a pro-life advocate. And she wrote those words in the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, in which we take up the issue of the pro-life movement after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview... You're listening to Issues Etc. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. 
Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. We're reviewing the movie The Banshees of Inisherin. Ted, you say that this movie also deals with the flip side of humility and pride. What do you mean by that? Well, sometimes people think that they're being humble when they're actually being prideful. And sometimes the reason why people are doing what they're doing is out of pride, but maybe they don't see it. Maybe they're blind to that. There are going to be a couple spoilers as we go through this. I'm going to try not to spoil too much of it. But the reason why Colm has stopped speaking with Park is because he wants to spend more time. He has this feeling like time is slipping away from him. He's getting older. What is he doing with his time? He's wasting his time, he feels, and he's wasting his time predominantly by sitting around at the pub with this guy, with Park. What he wants to do, because he's a musician, a fiddle player, what he wants to do is he wants to write some music, but he can't write the music if he's wasting all of his time, quote-unquote, with this guy. So he cuts off the relationship in order to spend time writing music. And why? Because at one point in the film, he says, you know, hundreds of years from now, people are going to remember a song. They're not going to remember you if you haven't done anything. So in, in a way, he's sacrificing the reputation of his friend in the community in order to build up his own reputation by maybe making some music that might outlive him when he dies. I think that's very interesting. Like lots of films don't really get into this kind of area of thinking about things. And for that reason, it really stood out as something kind of interesting to dig into. Is there reconciliation? Uh, That's what you desperately want (laughs) for these guys. And there are moments where it seems like it could happen. But this is a very bleak film. You know, it's it's Ireland, so it's it's green and, you know, pretty, and there's this coastline, and it's an island with the sea, and it's all very nice, romantic even in some ways. But, but there's this kind of dire, depressing cloud over everything. And that has an impact on all aspects of everything for everybody. And it, it also kind of runs afoul of in the end, their ability to reconcile things. It wouldn't be an an Irish story without, especially a small town Irish story without a Irish priest. (laughs) Tell us about that character. Okay, so you do get this Irish priest, and he's played by this David Pierce fellow, Percy fellow. He does a fun job in terms of it being a comedic character. I mean, he's certainly shown performing the mass and and listening to people's confessions. But this is kind of the end of it in a way. I mean, like, 
The mass is in Latin, so to what extent people understand what's being said is not sure. Hard to know. There doesn't seem to be an impact on the community in terms of lived graciousness towards each other when it comes to forgiveness. So that's a kind of an indictment of the character uh, on a whole. And I think this is more to do with the director, writer-director McDonough's take on Christianity. It's there. It's in the fabric of everything, um, including this priest. It's not where people go to get comfort. It's not where people, like, there's no indication that they understand what they're receiving there. Or that as a writer and a director that Martin McDonough understands what people could receive there kind of a thing. So Christianity's part of it, and it's true to the time period. This is 1920s, kind of at the end of the Civil War in Ireland. But the priest is played for laughs. So there's these great moments where he's in the confession booth with, particularly with this Colm, the fiddle player, the folk musician. And... They're having back and forths, and it, it's kind of funny on the surface, but the, the thing about this film is that all the humor is on the surface, and as soon as you get a little bit deeper under the surface, that's when it's like, huh, okay, so now these are some really dark things that it's delving into. It's some real human nature-related stuff. This is certainly a film where he understands what original sin is, but as a director, he doesn't provide you with any answers to original sin or any... Christian take on how original sin might be dealt with, let's say, like in the person of Christ Jesus and in the sacraments, even though he has the character of a priest and he has like a local parish and things like that. Now, as Lutherans, we're going to say the Roman Catholic Church doesn't 100% hit the nail on the head when it comes to all of that stuff. And that's where, as a viewer, if you're a Lutheran, let's say, and you're watching it, you're going to wish that certain things were there that aren't there. Why the title, Banshees of Inishirin? Well, this is, again, like you, you come across this and you're like, I don't know, what am I going to make of this? Uh, what, what's this show about? Like, are we talking about literal banshees? Is this uh, allegorical? And for the most part, generally speaking, as you're watching the film, even though there's like a veneer of religious content and there's like religious stuff woven through the whole thing, you kind of maybe think that this is just going to be only allegorical, but in careful viewing, as I was sitting watching it the first time through, and I actually watched it a second time getting ready for today, there's a couple moments in it where you really start to see that maybe there's something more to this than that. Maybe there is kind of a, a supernatural or at least a spiritual dimension to all of it. So at one point, the fiddle player, Colm, says that he wants to call the tune or the tune that he's working on. He's going to call it the Banshees of Inishirin. And then his friend Park says, well, there are no Banshees in, in Inishirin. That's when, you know, he says, well, I don't think they scream to portent death anymore. Maybe they just sit back amused and observe and so this is kind of where the devil's in the details. And there, there is a character of this crone that's in the film, and you have a suspicion that this character is more than they appear to be through the whole course of the film. There's never a moment where with a bubbling cauldron or like a spell or a hex or anything like that. But it seems as though 
there might be something more to what's going on than just what is obvious. And the very end of the film, you get this big, big hint that that's the case. Uh, there's a couple of them along the way. So I guess as, as Lutherans, we're going to say that our enemies in life are sin, death, the devil, the world, and ourselves, right? So when you watch a film like this, and particularly this film, you can see all of those things like coming at these characters, sin, death, the devil, the world, and themselves. And maybe the devil is the one that's furthest in the background, but there's hints that that's the case too, that there is some sort of demonic oppressive kind of thing going on in the midst of all of this, that it undergirds a bunch of the problems that they're all dealing with. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest reviewing the movie, The Banshees of Inisherin. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled The Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. When we come back, we'll talk about death as a theme in the film. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the new Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The new Concordia commentary on John 7-2-1250. Making Disciples for Life. Across the nation, students are back in school in over 1,800 schools serving children in early childhood through high school. Students are thriving in programs of excellence in a safe, caring Christian environment taught by dedicated teachers. To find a school in your community, visit lcms.org schools. Connect today for information about a Lutheran school for the children in your family at lcms.org schools. Have you ever wished you could see Ad Crucem's products before buying them? Well, you can. Come visit us at our workshop in Littleton, Colorado, and watch how we make our Christmas ornaments and print our icons. Check out the quality and fabric of our church banners, or choose some greeting cards, posters, or jewellery. Of course, if you can't make it to Colorado, we're always open online. For details and directions, visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Silicon Valley is a place of cutting-edge innovation which radically changes lives, where science fiction is already in research and development. In the heart of this digital chaos is a sanctuary of constancy and reverence, Hope Lutheran in Fremont, where nothing is new under the California sun, where the timeless gospel is proclaimed and the sacrament is celebrated with the historic liturgy that truly changes lives. And thanks to Silicon Valley, you may find us on the web at hopelutheranfremont.org. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.
Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. reviewing the movie The Banshees of Inisherin. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. Ted, death is also a big theme in this film. How is it handled? Death is kind of just part and parcel of life there. I mean, it is an agricultural world that they live in, but just this oppressiveness, this despair that hangs over the island community, it's just lurking around all the corners everywhere. And, you know, this makes it sound even darker than it actually comes across. But I think when you sit down and think about it afterwards, it actually does get at darker things than even show up in the film. So, you know, like very matter-of-factly off the cuff, you know, like the one policeman in the on the island apparently just kind of says, oh, well, there was this guy and he walked into the sea. You know, he was 27 years old. Like, you know, they just talk about this guy who you never see it. They don't show it. But this guy that just kind of walks into the sea and commits suicide because he's just under so much despair. And this despair is like threatening to creep into everybody. So there's um, Shaban, the, the sister of Park. She also is like this island. Like if she stays on this island, her life is not going to turn out. Everybody's kind of at the for, uh, in a fork in the road kind of thing like what do I do? Like, do I stay on the island? Do I leave the island? And if I stay on the island, what is my life like? And how should I live it? And can I deal with the fact that there's this, this depressing despair there? And how do you deal with that stuff? So this becomes like that Psalm 91 kind of the threat of suicide or the temptation of suicide becomes like the pestilence that stalks in the dark or the destruction that wastes at noonday. This is pretty dark stuff in a lot of ways, and everybody is kind of on the edge. And if if some major big thing happens, like you lose face in the community, you totally lose all of your standing because of a snap decision of somebody, or because you get rebuffed in trying to like get married, or if you like, there are these moments that are really pivotal moments in a person's life but because there's so few people there and it's such a small community, all of it is amplified and heightened and the drama is bigger in a way. And because the heights are higher and the depths are deeper, the danger is quite pronounced. Finally, you uh, make reference to a famous passage early in the epistle of James where he talks about Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Why? Well, something that seems like a small decision at the beginning, right? Like this decision of the one man to just, listen, I don't want to talk to this guy anymore. It seems like a small thing at first. And he does it because he has a desire in his heart. His desire is to write a tune or to write some music but that just kind of escalates and escalates and escalates. And then also the fellow who doesn't get talked to anymore, Park, he can't let anything go either. And as he goes, he keeps escalating and escalating things. 
So as you're watching the film, there's all of these opportunities to like for the characters to stop. But of course, this is a dramatic film. It's like it's comedy slash tragedy. Like it has to get somewhere. If all of a sudden they had a complete about face, they realized their sin, they were repentant, they asked for forgiveness, they received that forgiveness. If they knew what they were receiving in the chalice at the church, if they knew what they were receiving when the host was given to them, let's say, because they probably were getting the chalice, if they understood the forgiveness of sins and they actually applied it to each other, then this film wouldn't be a tragedy. It would be a inspiration. It would be more of a, an inspirational Christian film, let's say. But instead, what you have is, you know, an anthropology of man that focuses on original sin and gives you the dire, difficult, hard take on all of it. And if you follow down that path long enough, it's going to bring forth death. And that's the kind of thing you see in this film. So, dear listener, if you're on the fence and you're like, I don't know, that sounds maybe more compelling than I thought it was going to be. I didn't realize it was going to be like that. Maybe I'll sit down and watch this movie. Just a word of warning. It is an R-rated film. It's got some harsh language, albeit through a Irish brogue, as it were, in slang all the way through this. It deals with some pretty dark stuff. But if you're going to sit down and watch it, I'm going to just recommend that you take your catechism out and have a read through the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Maybe read the first article of the Apostles' Creed, where God the Father gives us our first article gifts. And maybe have a perusal of the Ten Commandments, particularly thinking about the Eighth Commandment before you watch it. Because if you do that, then I think that this is going to be a more valuable experience of watching the film. I mean, if you already have all this stuff memorized and it's in your head, great. That's good too. Bring what you have you know, with you into the film in terms of your faith and confession of faith. But that's just a, a couple words of advice if, if you're thinking about, or if you're on the fence or you're thinking maybe you might want to watch this film. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He is pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. You can read Pastor Geese's movie reviews at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Ted, thanks. Thank you. When we return, Michael O'Shea of the Federalist joins us. We're going to be talking with him about a professional hockey player's refusal to wear an LGBTQ plus pride jersey. You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. Life Week 2023 with Lutherans for Life is coming soon, and you're personally invited to join in celebrating that you are blessed for life. From Sunday, January 15th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023, go to lutheransforlife.org for more information and for Zoom links. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. 
lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858.